Hi, I'm Andrea Klein-Thomas, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 131 of Chasing Dreams. Guys, it has been an amazing 2018 so far. And, you know, we just concluded Black History Month. Amazing Dream Chasers. I hope you enjoyed each one of their stories. We're doing the same thing for Women's History Month. I have some amazing people for you guys this month. You're going to enjoy every one of their stories. Before I get to introducing who we have today, this episode is sponsored by our Patreon campaign supporters. Thanks to all of you for supporting the mission to inspire, equip, and empower people to chase their dreams. You can find all of our supporters over at amyj21.com slash supporters. So in honor and recognition of Women's History Month, I have an amazing dream chaser to introduce to you guys today. To kick off the month, please welcome Andrea Klein-Thomas. She is an Emmy award-winning reporter for NBC 10 News in Philadelphia. When she's not working, you can find her in the community volunteering, moderating, or hosting many events for nonprofit organizations. Andrea joined NBC 10 News in September of 2015. In 2017, she won a regional Emmy award for team coverage of the Delaware prison standoff. That same year, the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists named her Broadcast Journalist of the Year. Before joining NBC10, she worked as the lead education reporter for four years at WTVF, the CBS affiliate in Nashville, where she won a regional Emmy Award for Spot News. She also worked at News 14 Carolina in Charlotte for two years as a reporter and a photographer, and WMGT, the NBC affiliate in Macon, Georgia. She has been an instructor at Carolina School of Broadcasting and received a bachelor's degree in communications with a minor in Black Studies from Boston College and a master's degree in broadcast journalism from the University of Maryland. And she is raised a Maryland suburb of Washington, D.C. Andrea is the youngest of three children whose parents are originally from Sierra Leone, West Africa. And as a Marylander, I am stoked to have her on the show also. Guys, please welcome Andrea Klein-Thomas. How are you, my friend? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you are a Maryland girl. Yes, I am. You know, now... Okay, we're still in Birdland because, guys, we're in Philly. Andrea's in Philly. <laughs> the Eagles just won the Super Bowl. So very proud of that. Support, hashtag support local. Were you a O's fan or a Ravens fan in a previous life? So an O's fan um, and then a Redskins fan. Grew up a Redskins true. fan. You, yeah. you, you were a Washington suburb, so I can get that. Yeah. yeah. That's fair enough. That's yeah. all right. <laughs> You said Orioles. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but definitely an O's fan. I don't think no. they were around. I don't think they even were around when I was growing up. Yeah, that's actually probably true. And Cal Ripken and all of that. That was good times. The yeah. streak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you were growing up, like today you're a reporter, but is that something that 
little Andrea wanted to do when she was young? No, I wanted to be a teacher. Really? Uh, I did. I wanted to be a teacher up until the eighth grade and we had to do a book report. Um, so we had to figure out what we wanted to be when we grew up and then we had to go read a book about it. And then I got to the whole part about discipline and how kids might be unruly in class. And (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute. (laughs) You mean they might not listen to me? They might not listen. What? What? You can't do anything about it. Um, And so then I was in limbo for a few years. And then right before my senior year in um, high school, I did a program at American University for high school students and it changed my life. And that's when I decided that, okay, broadcast journalism is exactly what I want to do. And I kind of feel like I'm still teaching. I just feel like the classroom is different. But um, the essence of who I am is wanting to teach and inform people. Now, that's actually an interesting perspective, that you're just using a different medium to educate. Right, exactly. But this program that you took at American University, can you describe it a little bit? I mean, not often that you have an experience that kind of is life-changing in your case. Right. So it was a two-week program, um, like at the end of June. And um, just to give you some background, I did well in school, but I was completely bored. So there was nothing that really stood out to me. I just kind of was going through the motions. My parents were very strict, so I had to get good grades. So the program was that we visited um, the NBC affiliate in D.C., And for two weeks in the summer, the National Mall has the Smithsonian Folklife Festival and it's countries and maybe a city. They're all random. They have nothing to do with each other, but they have musical performances and food and clothing and artifacts. And you just they gave us a camera, taught us how to use it, taught us how to edit and said, go on the mall and figure out what story you want to tell. And you were partnered up and tell it. And so on the last day of the program, there was this presentation where your story aired, your parents were there, and I just could not be more proud. I just loved it so much. It was the first time I was like excited about really anything in that way. Wow. Like my, um, my gifts were used, but I thought I wanted to be a photographer and editor because I really liked the creative process. Sure. But my partner, I didn't like the way she was voice using, doing the voiceover. And I wanted to write the script a little bit differently. <laughs> so I realized I had more control. <laughs> I can see where this is going. Yes, I had to get in front of the camera because I'm like, I'm an introvert. So that part was like, you know, has been the hardest part for me to adjust to is actually being in front of the camera, the, you know, finding stories and talking to people that comes naturally, the writing comes naturally being in front of the camera part doesn't. And so, um, but that's when I decided and I haven't looked back since. Wait, 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 wait. So you're an introvert. Yes. Who goes in front of the camera. Yes. And a lot of us are actually, it'd be really You'd be surprised, but a lot of us are. And all that means is that, um, well, when I started, I was, I can't call myself shy per se, because, you know, around my friends, I talk a lot, but just, I am not the life of the party. Let's Mm -hmm. just put it that way. I'm on the periphery. Um, I prefer to observe. Um, so some of that works in my favor, but I've really had to get over that. And that was that's been a really hard obstacle for me, um, to kind of get used to. 
But that's actually great because I think there there are some people who may be self-described introverts who may think, hey, this is never going to work for me. Like I can never be a broadcast journalist because I, I mean, you obviously kind of work through getting in front of the camera. Right. So, so it was a process, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's an ugly process too. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> is it is it more like a pep talk kind of thing? Like you can yeah. do it, just do it. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just really doing stuff scared. I mean, I'm not at the point anymore, mm-hmm. uh, but I was for a very long time. It's you know making terrible mistakes or just at getting such stage fright, and you know when your heart beats so loud, it beats in your ears, you know, and you breathe funny, you know, it's stuff like that. And it, it's ugly. It's an ugly process, but you just have to keep doing it over and over and over and over again. So when you make one of those mistakes, you have that ugly moment, so to speak, in your words, what do you tell yourself to, to get past that, to make, th- make it through the next opportunity? Right. I think I just, um, I have to dissect it. I mean, it, feels terrible, but you can't stay in the feeling of it. Um, and you have to see what went wrong, you know, was, you know, that intro too long? Uh, was I not focused? Now I'm learning stuff like about, did I eat, you know, (laughs) do I just have low energy? Um, things like that. Is there something that I could have done in the process leading up to it to have a better outcome? And then also, um, years ago, it was really, uh, getting over the public failure. It was really hard for me to do. It was kind of getting over that. Oh my God, everybody in life saw it. Oh my God. Just being like, who cares? Like you're a human being. And I'm, I just think of myself on a continuum, not at a destination. So if I want to keep going forward, like this is the means to that end. And so you know, it's like working out, you'll get that muscle memory and it will become easier and easier and easier. Well, that's a great mindset to get yourself into. But the fact that you're, you were able to get to that point, and I'm assuming that you're still working on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I do training. I'm like taking an improv class right now, actually, just to help with my thinking on my feet and in, you know, situations that are kind of chaotic. You know, that Wait, so, just, so uh, is this an ongoing process? Yeah, I think it's ongoing. Hmm. I like, I love learning because it's not natural to me. I always have to, you know, look for things where, okay, maybe I can do this better. Maybe I could do that better. And, and how do I go go about doing that? So right now my improv class is um, super duper helpful. I took a like acting one-on-one class year and a half ago. Oh, wow. And now I'm doing the improv class and I love it. It's super duper out of the box for me, but I love it. And you've actually been around. So with the experience you've had, the fact that you're still learning, I mean, cause you've been in Charlotte, in Nashville, in Macon, Georgia, in Philadelphia now, like, and you, you went to school in Boston college. And so you kind of have this experience. You have these years of education and practice and the fact that you're still learning is impressive. But I got to ask when you were going through all of this, you know, as a woman, did you face some challenges because of your gender? Yeah. You know what? I face challenges and you sometimes don't know if it's gender or race, Mm. (laughs) to be honest. You just don't know. 
you just know that sometimes things are un- unfair. Okay. okay. Um, and so you just kind of don't know why. But the thing is that it's kind of like, it's unfair. That stinks. Okay. So are we going to stop? Or are we going to go around it? And so I've, oh, and that's why I think I've always, you know, um, gone to conferences and tried to educate myself and tried to network because I'm like, I might not be the best, but I will work really hard. So that will always be undeniable about me. People could say a lot of different things, but they'll never say, oh, she was lazy. They'll never Mm. say, you know, Um, so it's just kind of like, and you know what? And also I think it's embracing you're not for everybody and you shouldn't be. And, um, some of the best advice that I got was go someplace where what you have to offer is valued. And that is professionally and personally. And that was some of the best advice I ever got. And so you just, it helps you not take things personally because at the end of the day, it's a business. Um, and now I have life experience to show that things work themselves out. Have you faced an opportunity where you had to you had to say no, where you, where you had to kind of face it and be like, this isn't for the best for me. Let me go a different direction. After my first job. So I was making, um, $18,000 a year. Uh, they had given, um, two women that I worked with. I knew raises. They had asked for raises. They gave it to them. When I asked for a raise, they said, no, Hmm. um, they broke their contracts. I did not, you know, there's certain things. It, it became where I was being discriminated against. There was like no doubt, you know, at first you're like, what really is this? this the, feels, it's not right. And then you're kind of like, no, they're discriminating against me. And so my contract, uh, I was there for two years. My contract was up and they wanted me to sign like another year and give me a thousand dollars, a whopping thousand dollars to stay. And I was like, no, you know, (laughs) I had no job Mm -hmm. to put it into context. It was 2008. It was a month before the market crashed. So it was talk. I don't know if you remember about the talk of like, should people like sleep with their money under their mattress? You know, can you go to, it was a hectic and stressful time. time. Mm -hmm. And I called my parents and said, I'm coming home. Um, and yeah, they just didn't, they weren't treating me well, but I, you know, left saying, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Things were kind of, kind of ugly at the end, but I left just knowing I had nothing in front of me, nothing concrete, but I just knew in my heart that um, sometimes you just got to leave with your purse and your dignity. <laughs> I was going to say that's some scary stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I left, but I just had, I, I think that's what's carried me through is that I've had eternal faith in myself, um, and my ability to learn and my ability to be better. And, um, and I just knew that if I was in the right environment with the right resources, I could do great things. I've always known that about myself. Um, And I just thought that even a whole year of being there, it was just such a toxic environment that 
I just couldn't sign my life away for a year. And a year is not a long time. It's really only six months because it takes about six months for you to start applying and contacting people and, you know, stuff like that. But I just couldn't do it. I could not bear to do it. Um, and so I just walked away and I said, this chapter is done. And I went home and it took me nine months to get a job, a job in news. I went back to my old job. I was scheduling surgeries in an orthopedic surgeon's office. (laughs) Um, and I was going to every networking event that I could. Um, I was going to church a lot because it was just really tested my faith, but you know, it worked out. And I, I got to Charlotte after that. Well, I, I mean, to your credit, a, a year can be a long time in a toxic environment. It can feel like forever right, to be tortured. But for you to use that time, and, and it couldn't have been easy. I mean, waking up day to day, like, here's another one. Don't have a yeah. job. Right. And it's, you know, just doing what you don't want to do. Yeah. On um, top of it. Yeah. And you're, but the thing that was funny is I was making more money scheduling surgeries, like pseudo part-time than I was in my first job. <laughs> so like a lot more. And then I didn't have to pay rent, you know? Yeah. Um, God bless it, parents. Honestly. Yeah, I know. They were like, I don't know what this chick is doing, but um, we're going to say, okay, for now, you know, they were asking me a lot of questions, but um, yeah, it's one thing where you have to put your ego in check, to be honest and um, say, again, just knowing that this is a continuum, like this is not the end. It's not the beginning either, but it's certainly not the end. Um, and so it's just kind of a means to an end, but it was, it was a difficult, difficult time. And it was also a time when, uh, people were losing their jobs. So I had people at networking events saying, wait, you left your job when people are losing their jobs, Um, you know, that couldn't have been easy. Yeah. So it's like, what do you say? Like, I bet on myself. They're like, yeah, kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially yeah. so young in the career. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Kid with two years experience. Good luck with that. Um, but, you know, do you, you have think, to bet on yourself. Do you ever have to explain that? I mean, when you're when you're going to these job interviews or even the networking, do you explain like, listen, I bet on me or do you just kind of hope they don't ask about it? Well, what I do now <laughs> is that um, I just put the years, I don't put the dates, I just put the years on my resume. So mm-hmm. people won't even know that there was a gap there. But right after people were asking me um, about it, um, about the gap, and then you just say it, you know, this is a really judgmental business. It's extremely judgmental. Um, and there are lots of egos involved. And sometimes you just let people have their egos and say whatever they want to say. And if it bothers them so much, then don't hire me. You know, (laughs) I don't, I just need one. I don't need five offers. I just need one. And so one at a time, that's it. And that's what I've gotten. I, this before coming to Philly, it was like Philly and someplace else that I had a job offer, but that was the first time in my entire career that I've ever had two job offers. It's always just been one. <laughs> so wow. That's where you're going to go. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's just, you just learn how to deal with, you know, the brashness and the egos and the, you know, harsh critiques and stuff like that. But what's amazing is that despite the fact that you were doing a job you didn't necessarily love, you still found a way to go to these networking events, put out your resume, apply to these jobs, not just locally, but like in other states and take a chance on something 
you didn't necessarily know much about. Yeah, it was really funny. So um, one of the doctors, the doctor I was working with the closest had a vacation. I want to say it was like at the end of March in 2009. And, you know, he had it on his schedule. So I told myself that, and I had an agent at the time and, you know, he was struggling to find me stuff because everywhere it was like hiring freezes and everything like that. So at the end, uh, I, I told myself, I told him, I said, I'm going to find a job. And I had been sending stuff out too and not hearing anything. So I started contacting places and I said, I'm going to be in town. I'm talking about Buffalo, Nashville, Charlotte. And in a series of a few days, I flew to Buffalo. Then I flew to Nat. Like I went to an interview in Buffalo, was there for a few hours for the interview. I told him I was going to be in town. No, I like saved up my money so I could do this. And then I had the interview and then I took an evening flight to Nashville. I had a woman who I met at a conference years before. She's like my mentor. She ended up becoming my mentor. But at that time I had only met her like maybe twice in my life. Um, she told me that she, if there was anything I, I needed, she would help me. And so I said, actually, can I stay with you? <laughs> I have an interview in Nashville. Um, and this is before I actually worked in Nashville. So I stayed with her. Then I like rented a car, stayed with her, went to the interview in Nashville, drove from Nashville to Charlotte, um, stayed with a friend in Asheville for the night and drove to Charlotte in the morning for an interview. And then I had like another interview there um, and then drove to Atlanta to like hang out with a friend and then flew back home. So it was just like a few days where I just told all these news directors that I was going to be in town and then just made yourself be in town. <laughs> yeah. made myself be in town. And so it was a uh, um, news 14 and that's where I ended up getting hired. Yeah, you're right. You definitely can't say that you were lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you just cannot say that. <laughs> I mean, Buffalo to Nashville to, yeah. to Charlotte back to Atlanta. Cause that's, that's another like five, six hours, isn't it, from Charlotte to Atlanta? Yeah, part of it is just being dumb and naive and young. And and you're just like not putting two and two together, which actually works in your favor at that time, you know? <laughs> so you're like, man, Tennessee is a really long state. It really God. is, guys, just by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> if you drive, you're just driving. Across <laughs> Oh my God. And the whole time I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? It's taking me forever. I didn't map this out, but I'm glad I didn't, you know, I'm glad I didn't think it through too much. I just was like, all right, that's it. I'm not going to be passive. You know what I really told myself, you know, it comes to a point where you just get like fed up. Right. And I said, if this is not going to work, it's not going to be for my lack of trying. Like I'm okay if it doesn't end up working. And I have to like switch gears, but I'm going to try everything. So this was at the point where I was ready to throw a Hail Mary and say, all right, this is it. You know? <laughs> and and look at that. I mean, your hard work paid off. Yeah. In spades. It. And it, it seems to have started a domino effect for you in that, you know, you you ended up in Charlotte and then Nashville and then Atlanta or Georgia. And in all of this, though, you seem to have kind of gone back to education I saw was uh, part of what you were focusing on. You, you were the education reporter for four years, which is kind of like teaching because of, of the stories you share. What was it like kind of 
being in an environment you appreciated and doing something which you had dreamed about doing? What was that like? I loved it. I loved it so much. I was in classes all the time and I was understanding policy. I kind of started doing education in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of got a little bit of a taste of it. And, um, and then in Nashville, it really just clicked and it was during a transformative time with the school district. And so there was just a lot to share, but, um, they uh, grant a lot of access to classrooms. So I, I was just, I've been in so many classrooms and I just loved it. I wrote those stories from my heart. I just loved it so much. Loved it so much because I was talking about kids who look like me and what can be done to give them a chance and what are the problems? What are the obstacles? And it's always the adults. <laughs> it's not the kids, it's the adults um, making excuses and stuff like that. And so that's, that's where the passion lied. I wanted more kids to not be uh, held hostage to their circumstances that were beyond their control. I mean, you're still giving back even today. I mean, whether it's uh, K through 12 kids or the fact that w- how we met was the Women in Media event in Philadelphia and you're giving back your experiences and talking about it, it sounds like this part is something still important to you, not just in front of the camera, but overall kind of giving back. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I love it so much, too. I think it's part of why I was put on this earth, to be honest. So it's just, it's more, that's like more like destiny work. Cause I always try to tell people like, okay, I've got my makeup on and stuff like that, but you know, here's the real truth (laughs) about it. Here's the actuality guys. Let's let's break that down. Because I think that's, you know, I had a pastor, um, in Nashville said, and, and it goes along with this whole movement that's going on right now. She said the this is before this whole movement, but he said the uh, most important thing you can tell somebody, um, is me too. Um, and so not, and he wasn't talking about the movement, um, cause this was years before, um, it became so publicized, but it's true. It's like people feel like their struggles are in isolation, but they're not. And so sometimes you just have to hear it and you can glean from it and apply it to your own life. So that's what I just hope to do. And I think you're think you're doing it. Can I let me ask this for people who are interested in journalism, in communications, what is something they would be surprised about? They would be surprised. Well, you know what? Right now. Everybody feels like we have an agenda. (laughs) I'm entirely too busy to have an agenda. (laughs) No, seriously. Like my days are just ridiculous when I get to work. Like, I don't know one person who has ever really had an agenda of, oh, we're going to skew this and slant this. Like that's not it at all. Um, so there's that. Um, what would they be surprised about that? I do a lot of work. Sometimes people are like, oh, you write that? I'm like, yes. I wrote it. Yes. <laughs> I conducted the interview. Yes. I put that together. You know, the photographer shot it and then they're editing it, but it's a collaborative process. Um, and that it's not as easy as it seems. We're not curing cancer by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a, it's a lot more detailed than people realize. Wait, what you're saying, let me just get this straight. You do more than just get in front of the camera. I know and put on makeup. I do more than that. 
shocking. You're more than just a pretty face. (laughs) I've had people tell me, ask me that all the time. I'm like, do you understand? I went to school for this. Now it's again, it's not brain surgery, but for God's sakes, I went to school for this. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I, I guess, I guess, um, you know, it, is, it may be the portrayal of media and communications in movies. Right. Because you only see the, the end result. You, right. Exactly. I mean, unless you're watching like The Post and the, the movie that just came out, right? Or something that shows you a little bit more deeper of the behind the scenes. But you actually kind of, I mean, as an education reporter and what you're doing now, you come up with the stories. You actually do the research for it, right? Before you... Kind right. of go in front of the camera? You do. You have to kind of be an expert by the end of the day on things. You're asking a lot of questions. I think in local news, people would be surprised about how fast your day goes. And it's just the the pace of it is very, and especially in Philadelphia, the pace is so fast and how you're getting this information and you're consolidating this information in a way that people can understand very simply. So you're really simplifying a lot of things. And you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the focus of the story going to be? What do people need to know right now? Um, and you have to become an expert by the end of the day. And let me ask you something, cause, cause you said earlier that, you know, people have agendas and how fast paced things are. Um, one of the things that people question nowadays or, or think about is journalistic integrity. Right. Right. I mean, that's been a huge topic in the last year or so. And and what happens? Um, Do you, as someone on the inside, think that it's just uh, perception that people are just not seeing it the way it is? Do you think that people are still maintaining that or is what the perception that, you know, people are just quick to get a headline that they're risking it all? See, that's the thing is that like, I think that people can't draw the line between the different forms. So, mm-hmm. um, there are people and, and between network and local. So it's in, and I think network doesn't always do the best job of drawing the line of this is going to be more opinion based. And this is just kind of the news of the day. They're two different things. Right. But what I have to do, like we can be sued. <laughs> There's a lot of money. So there are, um, ethical standards and guidelines are things I cannot say, you know, when people are like, Oh, just say this about me. No, I can't say that you can, I can't, you know, I have to attribute things. I have to source things. You know, we have certain things where we won't go out with information unless we have, you know, two or three people confirming it. If it hasn't come out publicly. So we have like, you know, within the station where people are like, Hey, I got, I heard about this. Can somebody else confirm it? Uh, Yes. Can somebody else confirm it? We need three people confirming this um, from, you know, viable sources, primary sources, which you learn about in elementary school, primary and secondary sources. You need primary sources. This is not just willy nilly going on television with whatever you hear. I know with every story, I know a lot more about it than I can actually report. Because some things I just are, are not verified at the time. And so you just can't go on TV with anything. Um, it has to be supported in fact. And fact is not, um, we don't get to choose what our facts are. And I think that just right now people are existing in their echo chamber. So they want to hear what validates their opinions, but their opinions might, might not be based in any type of truth. <laughs> the facts may not support it. 
So, yeah. So what I'm saying and what, when you hear my voice on the stories, I'm telling you the concrete facts of it. When you hear the other people talking, they're adding the color of how they're um, able to assess what those facts are. And then you'll have two different sides. Right. Or maybe more than two different sides. But that's kind of how it goes. I mean, I think you make a very good point about the, the inability to distinguish. For, for an audience. And sometimes we put our own filter or color upon something based on how we're feeling, especially nowadays. I think people are so quick to make deci- judgments and decisions that we don't necessarily hear everything you're saying. And we're automatically suspicious unnecessarily and, and probably unfairly as well. And I think that um, it's good for people to question, right? I think that's really good because that, that, that's what's great about journalism is that you are here to serve the audience, but the audience keeps you in check. So when the audience says, hey, you missed this, like we need to figure out, oh, maybe we didn't consider that as one of the spokes on the wheel. No, we do need to look into that. And so I think that the feedback is necessary. And I think the feedback makes us better. Um, but we've entered another time now when people are just saying things that that's just not true. That's just flat out not true. That's not supported by anything by, by, but your opinion. And, you know, and, yeah, I and do you think that's true? Yeah. So we're just in a, in a different place right now. But I think that that's what, what journalism, what makes journalism strong is the back and forth with the audience, the continued conversation that uh, makes us better. Um, so I appreciate that. Absolutely. And we need, you know, we need the audience. We need the audience to tell us what's happening in their neighborhoods, what, you know, what cool things they're seeing or hearing or, or concerns that they have. That's how we, you know, shine light, shine a light on it. But, um, but so the audience is necessary, um, but it can't drift to a place of, you know, I think there needs to be a little bit more understanding. I think that as journalists, we might need to do a better job of sharing what the process is as well. I think so. I think there's something about uh, transparency that would help, but I, I do think that there is work to be done on both sides. Yeah. The audience and the the sender or messenger, so to speak, of the message. Um, right. But you're right. I mean, the medium has changed so much nowadays, uh, you know, from how it's being shared, how facts are being shared, that sometimes I think lines are being blurred and it's hard to distinguish. But I mean, you're seeing it from the front row on how now you have uh, social media is such an integral part now of news, it seems. And then you have YouTube and everybody's kind of changing it. Where do you think journalism is going in the future? Do you see it changing in any way? It'll continue to change and evolve. Um, and it'll continue to be um, fractured with so many different mediums where people are going to get their news from different places. So people used to make an appointment to watch the news. That's no longer the case. So the news audience continues to shrink. But sometimes people are saying news is going to go away. And I never believe that, um, like local news or network news, because the stories have been around since the beginning of time. They are the most powerful tools that humankind has. So humankind will always want to know the stories, you know, that it resonates so deeply with people. So I think that what will change might be how those stories are disseminated. Um, Hopefully uh, journalism organizations can monetize online more 
And once that can be done, you know, it's still, they're still trying to figure out how to monetize online. Then we might see more of a shift. We will see more of a shift. You see it now, but I think there would be even more so, but you know, the TV product will always exist. I really do. I just, the stories, maybe the format might change, but people want to hear stories. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's absolutely, I don't think that's going anywhere. If anything, the medium may change, but so that's, that's how journalism will change in the future. What about you? Where do you see yourself in the future? Is, are there things on the bucket list that you still have to accomplish that you want to, or are you happy with how you're reporting? Not necessarily where, maybe we'll find you somewhere else, but like overall in the general scheme of things, what, what can we expect from in the future? That's the big question. You know, um, this was one of my goals, like to come back home, like closer to home, at least if I wasn't in DC and be in a big market. So I was faced where like, oh, this was what I worked so hard for. I'm here now. So now what? So I've, you know, had to make new goals. Um, but I, I will be telling stories for my entire life. I know that for sure. I would like to write books. I want to do more speaking engagements. And if local news is the medium I stay in, I don't know. But I know, all I know right now for sure is that I will be telling people stories for the rest of my life. Well, that's exciting. It's definitely something we can look forward to. So mm-hmm. Andrea, to, before I let you go, I have to ask as someone who is kind of, not necessarily complete, because I think dreams are always ever evolving, kind of like you said, it's a continuum. So someone who's in the process of chasing their dream. What is something you would recommend to someone who is interested in broadcast journalism who is chasing that dream? I would first like to say you can do it. And dreams are no good if they stay in your head. You have to put action to it and figuring out what the next best step can be. So if you're not in school and um, you're like working in some other industry and you want to switch, start learning the journalism industry, be consumer of it, get to know the people in it um, and figure out what skills are your strengths, whether it's writing, whether it's speaking and create right now where you are. So if you want it to write, write blogs, write news stories and post them online, you know, so you have some sort of portfolio to show people what you can do. If you want to be on air, Go cover stories with your cell phone, post them on YouTube and um, kind of go from there. There are lots of organizations, too. I'm part of the National Association of Black Journalists, and they have uh, helped me throughout my career um, just have access to a lot of managers, hiring managers and to a lot of education. So invest in yourself. But my first thing is saying that it can definitely be done. Andre, that was fantastic advice. And guys, I hope you take what she said to heart and focus on it and run with it. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to share your story. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I loved being here. Love talking to you. So guys, that was Andrea Klein Thomas. How fantastic is she? I know. Listen, I only bring the best onto this show and she was an amazing guest to kick off Women's History Month. You guys can learn more about Andrea And find all the links we mentioned today over on the show notes page at amyj21.com slash episode 131. That's episode 131. Thank you once again to our Patreon sponsors. We would not still be going if it weren't for you guys. 
If you'd like to donate or learn more about our Patreon com- campaign, please visit amyj21.com slash Patreon. Even if it's just a dollar, guys, it's a dollar that helps get these stories out and helps motivate others. And we appreciate it. So you guys can find that again at amyj21.com slash Patreon. Till next time, dream chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.